Hey, Bulls Nation, welcome to the Rebuildable Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Gentile. And in today's episode, we're going to do something a little different, a State of the Bulls panel. Now, I did this last offseason with two separate panels. Just going to do one this time around, and it's with three very special guests from the Bulls podcasting world. So let's not wait, shall we? Let's bring them in right now. Our first panelist from the Locked on Bulls podcast and Bulls Outcast is Matt Peck. Matt, welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to chat with you again, buddy. Always a good time when you're on, man. Our second panelist from ONTAP Sportsnet and the Bulls ONTAP podcast is Brad Buzz Squires. Buzz, how are you? Good, man. I'm ready to talk some Bulls basketball, crack a couple beers, and have a good time here. So let's make it happen. You know, I didn't... I usually... I've you, had every time we have a beer together, go get your I, beer, man. Can't I know. Well, I, look, I got to keep this rolling. You know, I'm just the moderator here. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? You also, I know, do some contributions with the White Sox for on tap sports. So this is a really fun time for you with the Bulls and White Sox both starting to go full steam ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so excited. That's awesome. Um, and our third and final panelist, he's been on the Rebuildable podcast uh, too many times that I've, I've lost count. From the uh, Bulls Gold podcast, Salim Surdawala. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm great. Looking forward to uh, talking some Bulls and uh, how they're going to be winning the next like five championships, I think, <laughs> at the minimum. They got like a super team already. They're going to have like five superstars on this roster. I'm pumped. I think we're all coming off though, like the the high of the first preseason game too. I want to put that out there for anybody listening. We're recording this the day after first preseason game, so we're in full meathead mode. Just be ready. the The hot takes are gonna fly. Yeah, we're we're all gonna embrace our inner C red Fred tonight, gentlemen. <laughs> yes. And I wanted I wanted to not do that, but I, I I'm gonna try <laughs> I'm gonna try to not be that guy. If it happens, I apologize. <laughs> Real quick, before we get rolling, let me set the scene. And if you recall, I did a couple of these panels right before the start of last season because there was so much change with the front office, coaching staff. And I wanted to do something similar this year because there was another offseason of changes, mainly on the roster. Of course, we had the sign-in trades for Alonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan, the signing of Alex Caruso, the selection of Io DeSumo, the acquisitions of role players like Tony Bradley, Alizé Johnson, and Stanley Johnson, and the departure of a mainstay, Laurie Markkinen, for a package that included Derek Jones Jr. and a lottery-protected first-round pick. And if you go back to the trade deadline in March, you can include the acquisitions of Nikola Vucevic, Troy Brown Jr., Javante Green. These are guys that are going to be key pieces in 2022. So the reason I'm rattling all that off is I really just wanted to highlight all that major roster turnover as we go into this year. And I really just want to start by getting a quick overview of each of your thoughts on the Bulls offseason. So let's start with you, Buzz. What are your thoughts on just all of the moves that took place this past summer? I guess if I can put it in a couple words, like shocking, unexpected, and then amazing at the same time. Uh, things that I guess as a Chicago Bulls fan over the last I guess my life, you know, because I was young when Jordan was killing it. Um, you know, I mean, 97, I was six years old, 98 was seven, you know, and then we get into the next uh, competitive Bulls basketball was like, what, 2004, you know, uh, after Heinrich, Ben Gordon and Lou Aldang and all them. Um, it was probably the greatest offseason I've ever witnessed, even in after drafting Derrick Rose. I'm a big Derrick Rose fan. Everybody knows that. I love Derrick Rose more than anything. But um, 
this offseason just blew me away as a fan because if this is how real front offices operate, I mean, competent ones, and I'm not trying to throw shade or shots or be a jerk or anything like that, but if that's how they operate when someone wants something, like to win, it's the best offseason I've ever witnessed in my life, hands down. I, I can't say – I cannot praise them anymore right now unless a title comes with it, and that's just kind of where I'm at with the team. I mean, I, there, there's the – obvious hope around everything and these guys growing together and all of that stuff. And that's what you want to see. It's very hard to win a title in the NBA if you don't have like a bona fide superstar, you know, but I think we do. I think we might. And I think that when real talent surrounds him, I guess we'll see, but I'm super stoked on the off season. I think they did just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think, uh, what did Jalen Rose say? We have a living, breathing front office. Living, breathing. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree, Buzz. The, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get into how these new acquisitions fit on the court uh, in, in, in a few minutes. But as far as, Matt, your question of the the offseason we had and, and how, as Bulls fans, we reacted to it, the competency that was a level that we were not familiar with. Let, let's Let's realize this. They executed four different sign-and-trade deals in one offseason. Four. And, you know, credit to J.J. Polk, the you know, uh, uh, an unsung hero of this new expanded and built-out front office that, that A.K. and Eversley have worked to expand since their arrival. Gar couldn't figure out what a sign-and-trade deal was if you asked him. If you put a test in front of him and said, put, you know, put all the pieces of a sign-and-trade deal here, that works – Gar would like, you know, start having nervous heaves and be asked to be excused to the restroom. That is a living, breathing front office, as Salim used Jalen Rose's line. That is the big takeaway from the offseason. We have a front office that executed four sign and trade deals. I just, I love that term, living, breathing front office. Just because, <laughs> I mean, you, you do think about like all of those those off seasons, and especially in the years where they had Derrick Rose, you were waiting for them to make another move, right? They had lucked into the superstar talent and you were waiting for them to make one other move, corresponding move. And it just seemed like they always went with the the cheaper solution or the safe solution. And this was like the most aggressive that I think I've ever seen a Bulls front office in my lifetime, like you, Buzz. Salim, any additional thoughts other than the Jalen Rose quote? Is there any, any thoughts you have on the off season? Yeah, everything Buzz and Matt said, are very unexpected. You, you went into the offseason thing, okay, they're going to have to get creative. But you can't, you never imagined that this, that how creative they were really going to get. Like Matt said, four sign and trades. We, we didn't know that you could do one sign and trade. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you're allowed to do that? You're allowed to sign and trade guys when you're over the cap? I, oh, wow. Okay. I, yeah, okay. I'm never, <laughs> so, <laughs> I never heard the terminology as a Bulls fan of operating over the cap. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I was on your pod when you were doing the uh, futures plan on how to go about uh, building this roster. And I said, you know, we don't need to operate under the cap. Like, you get teams like the Lakers, Miami, all these teams always never have cap space. But all of a sudden, they were getting Russell Westbrook. They're getting Jimmy Butler. They're getting all these guys. Like, dude, like, why can't we do this? They, supposedly, they have all these bad contracts. They have. Uh, no cap space, no uh, flexibility, supposedly, and then they're able to improve their team every offseason. So, that, you know, that's what AK did, and 
we're 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 acting like a big market team. That's you know big market mentality. We're not trading away our all star player because we're scared that he might leave. Uh, we're we're building around him, adding talent to him, and showing him, hey, yeah, we're ready to do something in this town, and we're we're ready to be serious about uh, winning and attracting other uh, players to come here and win with us. So, with all the key signings this off season, which do you think will have the largest impact this coming season? I'll start with you, Matt, on this one. Who do you think is going to have the biggest impact in terms of the signings the Bulls made? Biggest impact is is a tough question depending on how you define biggest impact i mean like so so let me say this i'm going to say lonzo ball in that he will have the biggest impact of the breadth of lonzo being okay and lonzo being really good could have a huge impact on just how good this bulls team is because i think demar is going to come in and despite all of the you know experts and talking has nationally who worried about his fit with Zach. You saw it last night. Yes, it's just a preseason game. He and Zach are going to complement each other very well. And that Demar, as a guy who can handle some ball handling responsibilities, in addition to getting his mid range ISO looks, getting to the free throw line, taking offensive burden off of Zach, like he's he's going to give you what he gives you. He will be Demar Derozan, just wearing a Bulls jersey now, and that's great. And I don't think there is a whole lot of mystery to that, despite what a lot of national people think. There is some mystery, I think, to just how good Lonzo Ball can be. On his third team in his fifth NBA season, and if last night, again, first preseason game, take it in stride, whatever, is any indication Lonzo is going to make life easier for Zach and DeMar DeRozan, who were both singing Lonzo Ball's praises after the game last night. He's still 23, 24. He has so much room for improvement. And if last night, which was, by the way, like Vooch, Damar, and Lon, uh, uh, and Zach each had either 14 or 13 shots, like that's balance. That is sharing the ball. That is selfless offensive basketball. If Lonzo can do that while also playing his staunch defense that we saw him play last night and leading the Bulls out into transition where they have, you know, 26 points off of 22 Cavs turnovers last night. Lonzo, to me, is the big, big, possible biggest impact wild card of their offseason additions. I hate to piggyback off Matt, so I was going to say Caruso just to be funny, but no, I, 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 <laughs> I do like Caruso. I think he'd be great for the bench, straight up. Like, love I think Caruso. Love Caruso. Yeah, love him. Love him to death. I think he'd be very good for the bench, but like he said, it's kind of hard to define like the biggest, like I could sit here and say DeMar DeRozan as well. I know what DeMar DeRozan is going to give me, but if someone plays up to their full potential and continues to improve as he's done every single year he's been in the NBA, it's Lonzo. And I, I'm trying not to fanboy too hard over him. I've been calling for this guy since he was drafted and I'm such a nerd. And a lot of people like, don't believe me. Cause you know how the Twitter verse works. Everybody's like, ah, oh, you're full of shit. You know, oh, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on here. Remind you. Yeah, we're, 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 we're not a family podcast. It's okay. Fine. Perfect. But uh, you know, I, I go back to NBA 2k 16 or 17 or 16, because you could download the 17 draft classes. I would trade Jimmy to Minnesota. I'd have Lonzo. I still have it saved on my Xbox one. I'd have Lonzo ball and Zach Levine here. I love the UCLA Bruin backcourt. I'm not a, I like it. But I, I think that if Lonzo plays up to his potential and where he's headed, I mean, he's a sniper now, which is 
People, I mean, remember when it was like he was shooting his jump shot out of a cannon, and like now it's it's just like this beautiful. Yeah, I know people can't see it, but Peck did it. He did it perfectly. Like, but now it's just like this. I mean, it's just an easy, quick release stroke. He gets people into their spots. He gets balance in the offense, and he doesn't even need the ball all the time to do that, which is fantastic. His defense is crazy. If he plays up to the talent that's around him and he's utilized the right way by Billy the Don, I think he's the biggest impact player uh, the Chicago Bulls got in the offseason. And, again, I tried not to piggyback, but I have to. I, I really think it's Lonzo Ball. Uh, I'm going to go unconventional here, and uh, you guys laughed at Alex Caruso, but I think he's going to be uh, the biggest impact guy. And I, I, yeah, he's going to be coming off the bench, but I think he's going to play a lot more than people realize. I think there's going to be nights, a lot of nights that he's going to be in the closing lineup and, and possibly Pat sits depending on matchups. But when you look at that lineup of Lonzo, Zach, DeMar, Vooch, and, and Alex Caruso, that's a lot of ball creation, a lot of good passing, uh, Good defense, good, and then offense obviously speaks for itself. With Alex, especially when we talk about defense last season uh, in the do- drop coverage, the biggest issue in our drop coverage defense was having a strong point of attack defender. And basketball porn in the first half, watching him <laughs> like the way he was navigating the screens. I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy so much. And like, he's already going to be a fan favorite. He's going to be a glue guy. I think he's going to have the impact that Otto Porter Jr. was supposed to have. Hmm. Like, the guy that just glues everything together, makes a big difference when he's on the court. Like, you saw his communication, too. He's always talking on defense, telling guys where to go, telling guys, hey, watch out for the back, the weak side. Watch, he's going to cut behind you. I, I think he's going to have such a big impact that it, it's going to be maybe un, unsung hero in a sense. But like I said, yeah, I think I think Alex Caruso and a steal as far as offseason signing goes. Like the Lakers just gave him to us. Like he went back to the Lakers said, "Hey, I want to come back." It's like now nah, we're good. We're gonna uh, go ahead and give THT who I like. Uh, Taylor Horn Tucker, I like him as a prospect, but it was kind of odd that they decided to go with him over a much proven Alex Caruso who's a really he's still a really good player in this league. So yeah. Such I, such I, I disrespect for Otto Porter Jr. Salim, my well, goodness. Oh man, the guy I don't know listens. I don't know if you heard, but his arrival at Golden State gives them the best trio of shooters they've had in franchise history. I'm just <laughs> happy that he finally decided not like have a super spreader party. here's the thing though it's it's great to add guys like Otto porter jr to your team but if you can get him at a fraction of the price that the bulls had to pay for him i think it's it's way different right we don't we don't have vooch right now without that ridiculous auto contract so (laughs) that's 100 percent true you know caruso is a a very intriguing option and you brought up a really good point salim that's a guy you could totally see closing out games as the season goes on, especially if you need to get stops late in games. Um, the one guy that I actually, I think is, could have the biggest impact and a positive impact. I think is DeMar DeRozan. Like I'm really excited about what he can bring in the half court offense as a facilitator. And I think like, that's the one thing that uh, really irked me when I saw some of the, the national reports, especially articles from guys like John Hollinger, who 
think he's being overvalued. I think John Hollinger, according to, to some uh, stupid metric he's come up with again, uh, apparently DeMar DeRozan's worth about $13 million a season. Just FYI. By, based on his production, age, and lack of defense, he's only worth about $13 million a year. You, you, you pay guys that average about 20 points and seven assists a game $13 million a year in today's league. Barely less than Doug McDermott, who, I mean, no disrespect to Doug. <laughs> you just did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, but, like, how how is DeMar DeRozan worth less than Doug McDermott? Like, DeMar DeRozan must have talked some mean <laughs> stuff to Hollinger or something like must that. Have. It, it must made have. Him up, made him upset and didn't answer a question in a media scrum or something like that, and now he's hating. So, I mean, you know, if you're going to play or hate, then get away. It's fine. I, I got to say, so I, I actually I met Hollinger All-Star Weekend in Chicago 2020, like right before the pandemic happened. And we had a, a nice chat, maybe 10, 15 minutes. He seems like a nice guy as far as first impression. But I left that being like, I don't know why, but I think this guy hates the Bulls. Because I was talking to him about my work covering the Bulls. And I was like, I think he hates the Bulls. And everything that he has written since we met a year and a half ago, I'm like, oh, he hates the Bulls for sure. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. Look at that. We got inside info, but not really. It was really just conjecture, but we'll call it inside info. <laughs> and, and he has a podcast on my podcast network, so I'm not trashing the man. Listen to Hollinger and Duncan on the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> hey, 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 a little plug in there. He's yeah. trying to stay. He, see, I like what Matt's doing. He's trying to make sure he stops hating on the Bulls so we don't have to talk about him. Like, I, I get right, it. I, but, I, I I, but I 100% called out Hollinger for that BS column he wrote where he said the Bulls I, are going to finish a Eleventh in the East, and absolutely, you should have. That was that was a stupid article. <laughs> what, 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 with a lot of inaccuracies, like the first two paragraphs, he mentions oh, how the Bulls' defense got worse after the Vooch trade, and they literally stayed about the same when you look at defensive rating. And then he mentions right, right, and one other error that he makes, he mentions that Wendell was the sixth pick in the draft when he was the seventh pick. It's like. Like, dude, did you not know Fred seven seven seven? Yeah, like, did you do research when you wrote this article, or did you just like, like, think of a time that the Bulls, like Garpacks Bulls, did you wrong or something, and and just like, this is an angry article writing? I don't know. So I, I actually on the seven 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 thing, not to go off the rails here. Six 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 is the mark. Six 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 is the mark of the beast. Is seven 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 the mark of C Red Fred? It's the mark of the Leviathan, actually. So oh, that, that okay. that's Fred's thing. If he does not trademark that, someone will take that from him. I need to text him right now and tell him to. Yeah, let him know he's got to trademark that. Yeah, I, he's got trademark. Well, seven, seven, seven. Isn't that the, the whole jackpot thing? Like that's like lucky sevens, right? Is that, is. that right? Well, yeah. And it's yeah. not just three sevens with Fred. It's like anything ever in the universe and beyond the universe and other universes that could be defined as some connection to the number seven is important to him. Whereas yeah, you know, six, 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 it's not like, you, it's just it. like a million sixes. No, there's only three sixes. Fred's like, is it a seven? Is there anything to do with seven? Lay it on me. That's usually when so, I scroll seven times with my thumb past uh, whatever Fred's doing, because I don't want to read it to jinx ourselves. As I'm saying, he needs to drop the seven thing because every time, ever since he's created it, like I feel like it's like cursed the bulls. Oh, he's my man. It's okay. I love it. <laughs> so I want to move on real quick from the the free agency acquisitions, and I want to talk a little bit about Zach Levine because it seems like each year he's been with the Bulls, 
he's always added another wrinkle to his game and elevated his game in the process. And I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. Is there, in your opinion, another step he can take in 2022? Because I know I've changed my ceiling for Zach almost every year, and I'm curious if if you guys kind of have thoughts on, on where he's at right now. And I, I'll start with um, I'll start with you, Salim, on where you think Zach could take his game in 2022. So I think if the Olympics are any, um, you know, like seeing what he could do this season with more talent around him as far as defensively, I think that is a uh, something we can expect him to get stronger defensively, defensively because he's going to have uh, – He's going to have to exert less energy on offense, especially like late in the fourth quarter when he'll, as a ball handler, um, he won't have that responsibility because DeMar is going to have the ball in his hand more. Or maybe even uh, Alonzo at times will have the ball in his hand where Zach will be off the ball. So like I said, he'll be exerting less energy. So he'll he'll give him the opportunity to focus a little bit more on on defense, which, which I'll say last season, he did improve overall. He wasn't, that old uh, Zach where he was just getting torched and he was a complete shiv on, on defense. He was, he was at least below average last season as a defensive player overall. Um, so I'll say that. Um, another thing I'll say is his off the ball game. I, I think that's going to pop really. And I think we, we've talked about it all off season about how Zach off the ball is going to be a problem. We see his, has a spot-up shooter at the three-point line. He shoots 48% on catch-and-shoot. That 48%, that's just stupid and absurd. Uh, as a cutter, I think he was like third or fourth in the league on points per possession uh, as an off-ball player. So I, I think that's going to be a big factor. And then you'll see like – I think you'll see him have more games like that he had like against the Hornets a few years back. Because when you when you go watch that game again, watch the tape on that game, it was him working a lot off the ball, and a lot of the shots he was taking, a lot of the offense that he was generating, it was basically him getting the ball on handoffs or spotting up or cutting to the basket and making quick decisions like that. And obviously, he's going to have a lot more opportunities to play like that as far as that's concerned. Uh, yeah. So I mean, out of Zach this year, uh, 2021-22 NBA season. I mean, listen, um, Zach can score. Uh, he's a microwave, whatever badges you want to give him off 2K, that's what Zach is. Um, man-to-man defense, not bad. Can stay in front of his guy, approved a little bit in team defense last year, not too bad, you know, help defense. The biggest thing I want to see out of Zach is trust. You know why? Because since he got to Chicago, he hadn't had anybody to trust to take a shot and help him out. That That's the only thing I look at for, uh, for Zach Levine. I, I don't put a ceiling on Zach Levine. He's a young man with athleticism that people would kill for. Um, you know, he he's improved his game in every aspect. I mean, this guy was an Olympian. I mean, and a lot of people, I think, take that for granted sometimes. They're not granted, but I don't think they give it enough credit because they're like, oh, well, you know, he's a bench Olympian or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, that guy played with the best of the best in the world, represented his country, which he was so proud to do. If any interview you watch of him, even last night in his post-game press conference, I'm talking about it. You know, th- th- this guy is super stoked to have been able to do that. I just, I, I think in the media day um, interview that he did when he was asked about how many shots or, you know, who's going to get their shots, and he goes, I'm not worried about that. I believe him. I just want to see it on the court, and I think that's where he's going to improve the most. Um, numbers-wise, he can get it anywhere. 
Uh, he can pass. He, he's a decent playmaker. He can shoot the hell out of the rock. He can finish in the paint. He can shoot from three. He can do all of that. Offensively, a very gifted player. He is competent defensively. I wouldn't say he's upper echelon or anything like that, but he can, you know, he can hold his own. It's trust uh, out of Zach Levine what, is what I want to see in the 21-22 NBA season. I think that he's going to give it to us. He's got a really good team to do it with. So um, I'm expecting him to have more trust. Yeah, I, I mean, love what Salim and Buzz both had to say. When it comes to, you know, what's next for Zach Levine on the court this season, to me, it's the thing that Zach hasn't stopped talking about since he got to Chicago, wins. That's it. Like, you could talk about the fact that statistically and usage percentage-wise, his numbers might come down a bit this year. In fact, I think all Bulls fans should hope that his numbers come down a bit this year and that you don't need him to hit 13 threes for you to beat the Hornets at the buzzer for crying out loud because he finally has help. So he might not average 27, five and five. That's okay. But last night against Cleveland, he had 25 points on nine of 14 in just 24 minutes. Quiet. That is effortless. Zach Levine. That is at times I get to play off the ball. Zach Levine. And did you see how often Zach Levine was smiling last night? I think that had something to do with it. And when it comes to what happens next for Zach on the court, he has, and and to your point, Buzz, I think already buying in, like he does, he like there's already chemistry and trust building with him and his new teammates. It's a shame that he and Vooch didn't get more time after the trade last season because Zach had to leave for health and safety protocols, but even in training camp and early on the season, I think we're going to see it more. Zach is thrilled to finally not have to be a 40 points per game scorer for the Bulls to have a far shot at maybe winning a game against a middling opponent. It's all about winning for Zach now. And shout out to my guy, Big Dave, because that, that whole stat about like Zach being a part of the Olympic team, being his first ever four-game winning streak in his professional career, that that stat that went everywhere on NBA Twitter when USA won gold, it made it all all the way to, like, they talked about it on an episode of The Jump. Big Dave is the one who first threw that stat out there. We were talking about it in the green room before a Bulls game for outsiders, like, in year one. And then all of a sudden, there it is. People have always labeled Zach Levine as empty stats, not winner. I've always rallied against that notion and thought, the dude has no help. The dude has no help. It's not his fault that the Bulls are a losing team. This season, with the help, that's the step. Stats don't matter. Stats do not matter. Individual accolades do not matter. What matters to Zach is winning now. That's what this season is all about. Well, and think about it like this, too. A new regime, they want to build this around him. You know, they really want to bring in good coaching staff, good players around him. And I think that's a, it's a telling sign that kind of transitions to the next question I have for you guys. And it's about Zach Levine's contract situation. So I have no problem with him waiting on an extension because he can make more money that way. And for him, you know, he can assess the situation with the bulls. He's earned that right. However, I'm curious if the team gets off to a slow start, and they're below 500, hovering in that ninth or 10th spot. Do you think the rumblings 
are going to start about Zach getting traded or exiting after the season? And how do you think it could play out? And I'll go with you first, Buzz. If they get to start off slow to the season, um, of course there's going to be scrutiny around it from, you know, local platforms and national platforms. Uh, no doubt about it. As far as I know, and I'm pretty, I'm 99% sure, if Zach Levine makes an all-NBA team this year, he is eligible for the Supermax contract. Um, I don't see any reason Zach Levine can't make that with the team that's around him. Again, I'm trying to be as serious as I can because I'm coming down off of that major high of the preseason game, and I think he's just going to kill everybody, you know, and just be the man. But, I again, I, I don't know. I just... I think Zach wants to be here. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, also he wants to be compensated for his good doing. Let's uh, let's be honest, guys. This isn't a, He's not coming off a rookie contract here going, you know, he is coming off, uh, I mean, he's in year seven here. You know, they, he's never had a winning season. Um, he understands that. He knows that. But he also knows the type of caliber player he is in situations that he was put into. And I think this front office does, too, because they wouldn't have surrounded him with the talent that they did if they didn't. Um, it's just such a toss-up. I, if Zach does everything that needs to be done, um, I, I don't care that he gets a max contract because, you know, these players earn that. And I think that Zach in Zach's numbers, he's earned it. I, I really do. I know it's crazy to say because we haven't had a winning season, but you could tell the guys that want to get better and that like thrive to get better. Like what Peck just said a few minutes ago, have we seen him smile like that ever since he's been here ever? Maybe if like, unless Jim Boylan fell down or something like we've we never <laughs> seen him laugh like that, you know, like we never probably probably laughed like that when he was punching in on the stupid ass time clock, you know, like it, it's just stuff like that. I, I, I think that, you know, I don't know. I think the bulls are invested in Zach, even if they get off to a slow start, there's already built-in excuses with injuries there as well. So, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think that if he makes an All-NBA team or he gets his team to the playoffs, that maybe Zach's worth every penny that the Bulls are going to give him, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's no doubt that Zach is worth a fire max. And I, and to echo what Buzz said about him potentially making All-NBA teams, I think the Bulls will be a playoff team. So that that's definitely a possibility for him to – sneak into that all NBA third team and be eligible for a super max. And we'll see if, if he takes the super max, like all of it. Cause sometimes you see, you know, guys take a little bit less. Maybe he won't. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be mad if Zach doesn't because I think Zach should take every penny that he can. Um, it's, it's not up to Zach to take less money. It's up to the organization to continue to build the team and, you know, you, you talk about a team like Chicago that's made millions upon millions upon millions upon millions over the years off of the Michael Jordan name alone. They still are making money off of Michael Jordan. So, you know, you have the money to afford that type of contract for, for a bona fide star player. And if anyone's going to complain that Zach is going to get super max, you're, you're complaining about an all-NBA player getting paid what he's worth? That's dumb. Why And why do you want him? To take less money. Why, so, why are you why are you capping for billionaires? That frustrates me when I see fans sit there and say Zach should take less money. Zach should take four years. He should have extended for four years for a hundred million. Like why? Why why should Zach do that? So that pisses me off. It just annoys the hell out of me when I see fans do stuff like that. So as far as him getting paid, I I think he's gonna get the max. I don't foresee the Bulls 
being below 500. Um, I, I, I think they're going to be fine. I think he's going to earn what he's going to, I know he wants every penny he wants, and I think he's going to get it. Sorry, I didn't mean to want to cut you off. I was just getting excited there for a little bit. And No, hey, that's, <laughs> we're, we're all about, look, we're all about passion. We're all coming off the first preseason game. We're all jacked up. Listen, it's fine. Jacked up, all jacked up on Mountain Dew. It's... Come on now. <laughs> I, I was going to say Miller Lite, but I guess we got Mountain Dew out there too. Um, so, as far as the the like the element of your question, Matt, about if the Bulls have a slow start and then maybe people start talking, okay, well, like are 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 we are we including Joe Cali in that? Because that's a given. Ooh. If the Bulls are even at five hundred, nearing the trade deadline, all all Cali's going to write all day every day is what about Zach and his contract? It's all he's asked about to to Zach. To our tourists, to anybody who will listen, Callie's already asking that question. Let me put the national backdrop into it, though. I'm I'm looking more from that perspective because Joe Joe Collie's going to Joe Collie. We know that. Like he's always been kind of the guy that's going to be the contrarian and, and throw in his you know two cents. All I love Collie, man. I like no, and I oh. actually I don't mind Collie. Um, yeah, the world a, needs Cowleys, y'all. Like I, yeah. I love I, him. <laughs> I love him. I love Joe Cowley. He's been on our pod twice. Yeah, I talk to him like twice a week. I love Cowley, and he's a great storyteller too. Like he's he's gold. But I'm looking at it from more of the national perspective because we do see the rumblings a lot from you know national media and and look in NBA circles. You get the rumor mill, which is not always reliable. I get that, but you're you probably will hear my guess is some of these things pop up. So like, so yes, I do think you will hear some of that. If the bulls get off to a slow start and let's just roll with that. If for now, I think the bulls are going to be just fine. But if those national talking heads start throwing, Oh, whisper, whisper. I heard this. The bulls might, you know, even if they don't have any sources within the bulls they they'll just talk because we know that's how NBA media works now. And they'll start throwing Zach Levine into all these ridiculous trade hypotheticals as we get closer and closer to that deadline. Here's the thing, though. Do you think Arturis Karnaschovas or Mark Eversley give a damn about what national NBA talking heads are saying? No. No, they don't. And I'm I'm with Salim. I'm with Buzz. Look, Zach has earned this contract that he's about to get. He proved on his proven contract where the bulls and good for them, the old regime due diligence, you know, instead of overpaying Zach out of the gate, go find an offer sheet and we'll match it. And they did. And that contract that Levine is now entering his final year of is maybe one of the biggest steel contracts in the NBA over the last season and this upcoming season. 100%. Nobody is producing the way that Zach Levine produces on a contract that small, unless they are on a rookie scale deal. And that's a, fact that is a fact now moving to next summer and what's going to happen zach levine new clutch sports client is going to listen to the advice of his agency which is the bulls can give you the most money sign there just sign that contract because you know what we've learned when it comes to nba stars over the last handful of years contracts don't really matter they're like out there existing in the ether and if all of a sudden, say, in, in an unpleasant scenario, two or three years down the road after Zach signs on that dotted line, things with the Bulls aren't going the way he wants and he wants out, 
he'll tell his agency, I want out, and they will, with the Bulls, find a trade for him. But in the immediacy of now, the Bulls will offer the most money. They can offer the most money. They should offer the most money, and his agency is going to tell him, take that money. It's as simple as that. 100% agree with that because I I think – and look, I'm just – raising the question i'm just i'm asking what if um but no i do think that he is going to sign the dotted line because he can get his money and we've seen a lot of guys do this where they they end up signing with their team and if they don't like the situation a a year or two down the road they leave it's happened quite a bit and honestly if if we got towards the deadline my thought is our tourist car mark eversley have proven to be pretty aggressive they'll probably be aggressive at the deadline if the Bulls are in a situation where they're hovering near the playoffs. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that, Matt. I, I, I really do. Um, and, and not just to kind of go in and bulldoze here, but what, what uh, Peck was saying too is like, we can offer him the most money. That's known because you obviously you're on the team already. You can't offer a super max if you're not on the damn team, number one. So if he makes an all-NBA team and he gets to that point, that's fine. A big reason I think he signed with Clutch too is because this is Chicago. I think his first agency wasn't doing him really any due diligence with a major clutch sports or whatever. You know, um, I, I think he gets a lot of other opportunities here. I just want to throw that out there because we brought up clutch. He gets a lot more opportunities, a lot more open doors, a lot more big time athletes are over there. I mean, best player in basketball, Zach Levine. I'm just kidding. Well, one of them, LeBron James is, you know, is obviously a big part of that. So, you know, um, it's just, it is what it is there. I, I, I do, though. I'm glad that we all agree that Zach deserves every penny he gets because a lot of fans don't. Mm. Well, those fans are stupid anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They're stupid. No, they Come on, yeah. man. I put beer on my I, computer from that. You got me out of nowhere there. I, I want to I let everybody know if you're a loyal listener of Rebuildable Podcast, you've seen my evolution over the last two seasons. I was not in that camp two years ago. I didn't think Zach Levine was a max player. I thought at best he was a fringe all-star, but I've seen the light, you know, and you can too, if you still have doubts. <laughs> you can too. I'm writing a self-help book about how Zach Levine changed my life. Look, yeah. Oh, one oh, in Zach Levine for help. <laughs> What's I'm a big Zach guy either. Like, I know, like, I've defended him about, about stuff, but, like, last season was the first time I thought that, no, we should not trade Zach at all. Agreed. I was... I was open to moving Zach before that, but before the season started, I was like, "Look, I would move Zach in the right deal. Like you can, you can get something for him if he's not, you know, the right fit." But seeing what he did last season, the way he elevated his game, I was just like, "No, this is a guy you have to keep. You can't get rid of this guy now." So I want to get into two young and unfortunately injured bulls, um, Kobe White. And Patrick Williams. So barring setbacks, both are expected to be back uh, sometime earlier in the season. Of course, that's great news. Now, I think the offseason acquisitions can help both of them out. White gets to be that spark plug combo guard off the bench, which I think is his natural role right now. And Williams gets to play at the four, where he's most comfortable defensively. Uh, He also, I think, gets a chance to kind of slowly develop his game offensively without added pressure of having an increased role. And my question for you guys is, which one do you think is poised to have the bigger step this season? Kobe White or Patrick Williams? And let's start with 
Salim on this one. So, so I think Kobe probably has the easiest path to take a take a bigger step. Uh, when you look at the season, he's going to be kind of relegated to playing more of his strengths, which is just playing kind of off ball, spotting up. Um, he's going to probably have the green light again as far as when he's open, you know, t- spotting up, take the shot. Um, with the ball moving like the way we saw in the first game, again, yeah, it was preseason, again, a bad calf team. But I think the ball is going to be moving a lot around a lot. There's not We have good, like, passers on this team uh, with Booch. With when you add Lonzo, you add Caruso, and Kobe will mix in and play with a lot of these guys. Um, you know, he'll he'll likely end up getting a lot of good looks, and because of that, I think uh, you'll see him being able to you know be consistent. The the way we saw he was playing after the All Star game again last season, I know people will say, well, that was a small sample size, but you look at the way he was playing, he took the responsibility out of his hand of being the point guard, being a, a, an initiator, and they played through Vooch more, and they allowed Kobe to kind of play off of Vooch, off the ball. So I think that played part in how why Kobe played better, and that'll transition into this season where he's going to be playing, like I said, he's going to be playing like that more often. So I think that gives him an easier path to take that next step, and obviously he's also in, going into his, what, third year now. Um, physically, he looks like he's also gotten bigger, so I think that's going to help him defensively, I think. Um, getting a little more knowledgeable about the game, too. Just those little things will help as well. So, yeah, I think I think I would say Kobe has an easier pathway not to take that next step. And and that's not to say Pat's not going to get better, because I think he will. Um, I think defensively, he's probably where he's going to get a little more consistent on. And offensively, he's just going to kind of feed off the guys like as a cutter and stuff. But, yeah, I, get, yeah, I think Kobe probably right now, is the guy that will t- see a bigger step between the two of them. I'll, I'll go the other direction and I'll say Patrick Williams. Um, I, I think as, as soon as Kobe's ready and, and we're hearing hopefully that sometime mid-November, he will come in and get minutes. And if those minutes are taken from, uh, you know, Troy Brown Jr., Javante Green, although after last night, I don't want anybody taking Javante Green's minutes. Oh, my God, that guy's amazing. Blink check, baby. Um, check. Give that man all the accolades and all the money. Um, I Look, coming into year three, I feel pretty confident in knowing who Kobe White is. I think he is a two-guard who can get really hot and can get you points in buckets. Like, he can be a lethal off-ball threat behind the arc and at times he can use his speed to just put his head down and get to the rim. And those are two great traits. And I love Kobe White. And I'm excited to have him as a bench piece. The curve of Patrick Williams' ascent in overall talent compared to the rest of the NBA pool, I think should be and will be sharper than Kobe White's. I think Kobe White, you know, is gradual and kind of we know who he is. A lot of the Bulls' success this season and in the immediate future beyond this season hinges on just how good Patrick Williams can be and how quickly he can get that good. Because you add Vooch, you add DeRozan, and there is flexibility financially, roster-wise. We know that this front office is capable to execute trades and, and all kinds of stuff now, so they can make changes if they want to make changes. But this season... How good can Patrick Williams get playing as the starting power forward 
in that starting five of just talent on talent on talent on talent. Because you think about maybe P-Dub getting some minutes staggered with the second unit where he can maybe, you know, you know, flex his chops, so to speak, offensively and see maybe a little bit more of the stuff that we saw him do in a few summer league appearances, which was really fun. You're like, okay, Patrick Williams is confident doing these things in summer league. What still needs work on his offensive game? What's getting there? We already know that he hit 39% of his three-point attempts as a rookie. But to me, the the big jump for Patrick Williams that's so important for the Bulls' immediate and future is, can he go from being a 19-year-old rookie last year who people said, wow, that, that rookie could play defense. That guy could guard pretty much one through five, and Billy Donovan pretty much told him he had to every night last season. Can he go from being a surprisingly good 19-year-old defensive rookie to, in his second season, people are talking about him getting fringed like second all-defensive team votes. That is what I want to see from Patrick Williams this season, and that, to me, is a bigger jump than Kobe just taking the next gradual step of doing what we already know Kobe White can do. I See, I guess I don't disagree with that, but seeing him take that big of a jump, I think it's more so like year three and four. I think year two is where he becomes a little more consistent because last season I know he was asked to do a lot of a lot defensively. He made a lot of mistakes, rookie mistakes, and experience mistakes. And I think this season what you see from Pat is kind of becoming more experienced, understanding defensively where to position himself. Going back to his roots, like in Florida State, where he was defending more closer to the basket because I think he is being put himself at, as a four. He said he's a four. The Bulls see him as a four. So I think that's going to help him too in that regard. So I think consistency is probably something we see from Pat a little bit more. But that arc of getting like that jump, I usually see those happening like years three and four and beyond that. So that's why, I, to me, I, I guess my, my thought process is I see a guy like Kobe taking a bigger jump because he is graduate a little higher in his career than or further along in his career than Pat is. Yeah, no, that's a fair way to look at it. I'm just saying, like, right now, Kobe's floor and ceiling is shorter of a distance than P-Dub's floor and ceiling. That's kind of what I was, yeah. 100%. I agree with that 100%. And I just, like I just said, the the ceiling for Pat is, like, three years, three, four is when you probably really start seeing that ceiling. Um, Right. I'm I, I'm just impatient, and I want Pete up to get there sure, now because sure, I see it sure. in him, and I'm like, let's go. Let's go, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I'll follow up on this. Um, You know, I think that the wow factor is more so going to come from Kobe White. He's in a position that he's uh probably best suited for to succeed, uh, to guard off the bench uh, where he can focus on his scoring ability. And, hey, there was some pretty good creation from him last year, too. I don't want to take anything away from him. Um, But to your question, Matt, uh, about how you know which who will take the bigger step it's hard it's hard for me to answer because like i think people will be a lot more uh you know accepting of kobe white now that he's in a position and a role that fits him right but then you also have patrick williams who you want to see a big jump from but there's one ball on the court um i'm gonna go pat and the reason i'm gonna go pat is i think that he is going to play a big role in the deficiencies of the offense around him. Not saying that Nikola Vucevic is a bad defender because he's not. It's in the numbers and everything like that. But if you want a wow defender 
You're not going to get it in DeMar DeRozan. You're not going to get it in Zach Levine. You'll get it from Lonzo. But I think that Pat Williams will be taking on the team's best player on one end every night. And I think that he will be improve offensively. I think that's cutting. I think that's still shooting. He's got guys around him that can get to the rim and get him those open corner three-point shots. I think that he will be the one that takes a bigger jump because I don't, I feel like I know Kobe's jump. I feel like I know where Kobe goes. And uh, 2020, 2019 over at Bulls on Tap, same as plug. Um, but anyway, over there, you know, we I had spewed a ton of shit that I thought that Kobe White could be a point guard. And you know what? When Vooch got here, it looked a little bit like it. Okay? It, it really did. It looked a little bit like it. And anybody denies that, I, I don't know what kind of basketball you're watching. Easier to get assists when you're passing to Vooch instead of Wendell Carter Jr. That's true. Well, don't say that. See, you just got in trouble. There's a lot of Wendell lovers out there. You know how I found that out? The other day, I put a tweet out. I got in trouble. I, I regret it. We'll probably talk off air about that. Yeah, you mean, <laughs> wait, the, the, the number six pick in the draft, according to John Hollinger. Yeah, yes, the number yeah, six pick in the draft, according to Hollinger. But, yeah, dude, like, I mean, again, I expect big things out of both of them because I think they thrive where they're at. But bigger step. I'm expecting a lot about out of Kobe in a role that he should thrive in and that has been called for him since his second year in the league. Um, even, I mean, the beginning of the second year in the league for him. Pat, I expect the bigger step from because the talent's around him. He's going to learn a lot. You're going to see him start reaching that. I don't like to call it a ceiling. I like to call it universe. He starts reaching his universe because, like, that's where shit happens, man. A ceiling can be broken. Um, I, I feel like he's going to get up to, uh, you know, a different stratosphere. I think he's going to look good in it, too. So that's why I pick him. I'm on what Buzz is smoking universe. Wow. Well, I, you know, believe it or not, I can't do that. I get drug tested. But the, the Miller lights make me believe in weird shit. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do just a quick rapid fire. And you brought up Nikola Vucevic. You know, he's been a, a 20 and 10 machine the last couple of seasons. And with Zach... Levine and the addition of DeMar DeRozan, uh, Lonzo Ball. We've talked about all the additions and how some of the numbers could be spread out a little more evenly, which is great for the team. But I'm actually just kind of curious, like statistically, what kind of a year are we expecting out of Vooch? And why don't you kick this one off for us, Matt? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting that on nights when the Bulls need Vooch to give him 20 and 10, he's given him 20 and 10. Like, he, he he had an off-night shooting against the Cavs in their preseason debut, 5 of 13, 0 of 5 from downtown. You know, that that's that's a bad, bad off-night for Vooch. You usually expect him to hit close to 40% of his threes because he has built that into his offensive arsenal. And, he and like, last night, like, watching, especially earlier on in the first quarter when the Bulls were, like, not winning by a lot yet and I was a little bit antsy, he and DeRozan both had looks that – were great open looks and like went halfway in and then rimmed out. So like, I, I'm not worried about Vooch offensively. I'm not worried about where Vooch stacks up in the tier of who's option one, who's option two, who's option three. Cause I think I mentioned this earlier, DeRozan and Levine each had 14 shots in their preseason debut. Vooch had 13. That's what you want. You want balance. And based on matchups, based on your opponent on any given night, Billy Donovan might look to Zach to say, this is your night to take over. Or he might look to DeRozan to say, get to the free throw line. I, I need you shooting 12 to 15 free throws tonight for us to win this game. Or they might look to Vooch to say, we're throwing you the ball in the post all night. Go to work. So when it comes to Vooch, and he had thoughts on this 
as part of his media day interviews where he was saying, I'm going to play a different role than I played in Orlando when I was the guy. And Zach is going to play a different role than before I arrived and before DeMar arrived. And he was the guy and DeMar's going to play a different role. And guess what? We're all cool with that. We just want to win. So that's what I appreciate about Vooch being here is, Hey man, I had some rough years in Orlando. I'm excited to be here with, as, as Vooch said himself, the most talented team I've ever been on. I'm not worried about what, what kind of year Vooch is going to have because Vooch is going to be 20 and 10 guy whenever you need him to be. And on nights when he doesn't get 20 and 10, he's not going to care if they get the W. Yeah. So I, I tend to agree with people who like uh, have said, like, if you listen to, uh, Mark K, uh, I know Doug Tonus has mentioned it too, but, uh, Vooch is probably our most important player just simply because when you look at, uh, who's behind him? There's not a lot of like we don't have like obviously Zach. If we miss Zach, is going to be important. But you have shot, shot creation, Demar. You have that like an ability to create offense on, on the perimeter with a guy like Demar. But Vooch is gone. We miss that big inside, uh, especially the offensive what he brings offensively and on the boards. You miss that. That's going to be a huge hole if if something were to happen to him in a sense. Um, you know, I, I know the Bulls want to play faster this season, and people think, okay, well, how does Vooch fit into that? Because obviously he's not a, a big that is known to, you know, run up and down the court. But as far as late game situation is concerned, you're still going to see a lot of half-court sets happening. You don't you don't see up-tempo games in the fourth quarter. Uh, you see a lot more half-court games. And in that sense, I still think him and Zach are going to be the top two options. Uh, because you're going to have DeMar have the ball in that half-court setting. You know, Lonzo may have it sometimes or bringing it up the court and then hand it off to DeMar, and then they're going to set some kind of offensive play up where it's going to be either a uh, pick-and-roll for uh, Vooch or some kind of uh, play where, you know, you're setting up Zach in the corner for a three or something like that. So I, I think you're going to see those two guys like Vooch and Zach be the top two options. So, if you want to say Vooch is the second option in that situation, that's fine. But I think that's how I kind of see that playing out, and at least in late game situations. But to Matt's point too, I think throughout the entire game you're going to see a little more balance. But like I said, for me, when I look at that fourth quarter, that late game situation, I still think Zach and Vooch are like the top two guys, and I think Vooch will won't be like the third option in that setting. I think it's trivial. I also think, I mean, it, and it's definitely like on different sort of bases. Like I, Zook, Vooch might be the third option some nights. Some nights he might not be. Um, I'm expecting the scoring to go down as I am for Jamar DeRozan, as I am for Zach Levine. Um, the scoring is going to go down across the board. You know why? Because these guys have all said themselves, as Matt and Salim have pointed out, they want to win. I don't care how many shots are thrown up there. Um, I expect Vooch to do what Vooch does. Be effective, be efficient, shoot the work well, rebound the ball. Um, if he's getting in playmaking um, situations to find the right guy to pass that ball to, which is what we saw last night because they're going to win the championship because of one preseason game. I don't care what anybody says. Anyway, <laughs> you know, but I expect him to make the right decisions. Um, I, listen, I, I look at 1A and 1B here for scoring options. 1A, I believe, is Zach Levine because he's the guy on the team that can get as many buckets as he wants to. 1B is everybody behind him, like Vooch and DeRozan to me. That That's it. 
like those those are those two and you know let 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 pat and and zoe do their thing i i just uh i don't know to me i think it's more so situational for vooch in a three spot i i expect big things out of him i expect him to you know he's a veteran who's hasn't gotten to the mountaintop yet so right. I think he's going to play the game that he needs to play. I think that he's a professional, and I think, as Peck pointed out, he said this is the most you know, talented team he's ever played with. He's going to do what he's got to do to win, and that's the most important thing. Al Davis said it, man, just win, baby, win. That's where we got to go. And I think that they're all, even Zach, who is on pace for a Supermax, they're all prepared to do that. Yeah, and just like one last follow-up thought on on Vooch and the ways the Bulls can use him this year. We saw right when he arrived in the trade last season and before Zach got put out, the way that they were building some chemistry in the two-man game, pick and roll, pick and pop. You you saw Zach and Vooch kind of, you know, rekindle that little two-man game a couple of times last night against Cleveland. It was really fun to see that. But I think it's going to expand Salim mentioned, you know, Billy Donovan's desire to play fast a lot offensively this season. And I think you're going to see that. But guess what? At least on one occasion, we saw them reward the big man, Vooch, for running the floor. Like, he's not the fastest man in the world. But if he runs the floor when they get out on the break and he's the trailer, he's going to get rewarded for that. Because not only can he come through the paint and finish at the rim, they can also hit him as a trailer popping a three from the top of the key. And he's knocking that down at 40%. And then the other thing last night in their preseason debut that you saw that I really enjoyed was the ways in which he and Zach and DeMar or he and Zach and Caruso or he and DeMar and Caruso were getting into really fun little like three-man screen games, like, you know, a, a double screen or screen the screener or reject the screen. And all the ways in which Vooch, I think, is an underappreciated passer when he's got that ball out on the high elbow and it doesn't just have to be he's the screener in a pick and roll or a pick and pop in a two-man game. His basketball IQ is so high that whatever Billy is is telling them to do out there on the floor, whether it's Lonzo or DeMar or Zach handling the ball, you can get into more intricate levels and layers of multiple screen plays. And Zach, uh, or sorry, and Vooch is either the beneficiary or the distributor of you know, that, that deeper level basketball where there are multiple screen actions happening on one sequence on one side of the floor. Before we wrap up with predictions for 2022, I want to take a little bit of a look beyond, and you guys know this with, you've been on the rebuildable podcast. I always like to kind of throw out hypotheticals, look far ahead into the future. Um, So assuming that Zach resigns, I know some Bulls fans and analysts have concerns about flexibility to make future moves. Bulls are going to be tied to DeRozan, Vucevic, Ball, and Caruso, and you know they surrendered future first-round picks, those, those precious picks. So why is it a concern to some? It's because in today's NBA, we see most star talent added via the trade market. Now, I personally, I think there are avenues to pull off moves if or when a star becomes available and wants to join your team. But I want all of you to put your your GM caps on for this one. How is it possible to add another star and go from a playoff contending team to an absolute title contending team in the next year or two? Is there flexibility in your opinion? And I'm going to start with with you, Salim, on this one. So in order to add another star, like you – 
you have to see. Maybe maybe Pat becomes that. Maybe you see what this season him taking that bigger step, and you feel like, oh wow, okay, he 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 looks like a guy that, um, at the very this season he looks like just an absolute stud, and then you can pretty project that at only twenty he's already dead. So maybe we do see him in years three and four become that all star level player. Um, th- that's one way, obviously that increases the ceiling for this team. The other way, even let's say you still see Pat and both Kobe, they look promising still. That in turn then become they become, you know, good trade pieces. And AK was able to add that other draft pick in the Lowry trade. That's beneficial too. That gives them a little more trade flexibility. Um obviously we'll see what happens with this tampering. Um if the rumor was that they're going to dock as a first-round pick, which hasn't been official yet, so maybe that's just not going to happen, but you never know. But like I said, I think the, the you, you add a little more flexibility. So if Pat and Kobe have taken that step, you have that draft, extra draft pick, maybe if another star is you know somehow becomes available, you can combine those guys and trade you know, trade them for said star. That can also raise your ceiling as far as what this team can do. So, I mean, those are some of the things that you think about as far as being, you know, really as far as how how much better this team can get. And and maybe a guy like Lonzo, you know, continues to develop and maybe he becomes an all-star too. Like, those are the things that you kind of think of right now as far as how this team can continue to develop and get better. Um, going beyond, I, I just, uh, oh man, I look for, it, it's tough. I, I mean, everybody who's under contract and everything like that, I, I feel like we have a good future. I just don't know where to necessarily put us, uh, trying to land another, uh, superstar or anything like that is, it was like the first thing that we said on here, like the four sign in trades, anything can happen. Um, you know, I, anything can happen. I guess right now I'm so laser focused on what's in front of me and the young talent that's on the team that I don't really I don't really worry about that. Well, you already got them in title contention. We know that. You've yeah, no, they, they of won. Times. Yeah, they they yeah, already won. Not contention. Apparently, he's like he's planning the Grant Rally Parade with our pal Fred right now. Like they're already he, calling. No, life. <laughs> oh, you've known me for a long time. You put me in the Fred thing. No, I just got hyped after the first preseason game. What are you doing? Oh, okay, I see. We're yeah, we're com- we're compartmentalizing the first preseason game. Okay. Yes, yes, we are. We are. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, they're gonna. No, they're seriously gonna win the title. Anyway, um, you know, but I, I don't know, man. I, I kind of look towards this year. I look towards the future. I know who's under lock and who's not. Um, you know, you still have Kobe. We're gonna have Pat. We're gonna have Caruso. We're gonna have uh, DeRozan. We're gonna have Ball. You know, we have the core there. Um, landing another superstar. There's assets to get there, and and they've shown that they're able to uh, pull the trigger on, on how to move those assets effectively to get you know better assets. So uh, where I'm at right now is I'm kind of just focusing on now. Get the, you know, um, focusing on 2021, 22. And the reason, I, I, I've really never done this before, too, because I'm usually one of those guys that, like, look at NBA draft or mockdraft.net. I don't know if you guys are the same way as I am. And always looking towards, like, the future and being that weird guy that's just like, oh, yeah, well, this is great, but look at next year. I don't feel that right now. I feel excitement. I feel something that I have not felt since 
2010-2011. Guys, it's 2021 now. You know, I was just getting out of high school, working on the railroad as an 18, 19-year-old when Derrick Rose is tearing it up with the team in 2010-2011. I'm a father of two daughters now as we watch the Sky game, and, and I feel finally comfort and peace and happiness and excitement over what they've just built. So as, as far as the future goes, I think that this front office can do anything they want to do. I'm just focused on the now. Let, let's let's find a way for Denver to implode. So Jokic wants. Uh, wants he's already to. coming. I should have said that. Yeah, he's coming for sure. <laughs> That's part of Buzz's plan. I mean, they're title contenders now. Then they're going to hit their universe in two, three years. See, people are going to listen to this and be like, "This guy's fucking insane." He's talking about the universe and space. He's all I, oh, we're not going to see videos. He's all tattooed up with like you know the. The star signs and the elm trees and everything like that, you know. But no, I seriously believe that this team is going to do good things, and I believe that AK and Mark Eversley. And you know what? Just to point out on your podcast, I said it on ours last time. Mark Eversley does not get enough credit. No one talks about that guy. They should. And yeah. as Matt pointed I mean, out earlier, Matt, he's Pat a, he's a big out, part of the reason why Jamal is here right now. Huge reason. A, yep. I mean, let's give another guy credit real quick, Peck, because you pointed him out in the beginning of the episode. J.J. Polk. No one talks about him. Yep. AK is great, and I think he has a great mind. But there's other guys behind that man, or standing alongside him, as I should say, that make things happen. And I, right. I, I, have, a, I have a great feeling that those three in a big market in Chicago are going to make great things happen for the future. So that's and and Connolly too, who Arturis yes. poached. When Arturis and Eversley showed up and said, oh, you don't have a player development staff? Maybe we should address that. <laughs> yeah, dude. You've been drafting in the top 10 of the lottery for the last four years and don't have a player development staff? I would like to think they drank a bunch of beers. Like, it, it just makes me feel better. It's like, yeah, that guy looks good. You know what? That's my guy right there. That's my guy. That's how That's they drink. That's my guy. That's my guy. Um. Yeah, so as far as going back to your question, Matt, about what happens next and championship contention and getting there, I very much am trying to live in the moment like Buzz is right now with like, hey, like, you know, we just escaped a volcano. Let's not worry about the pebble two miles down the road. We're safe from the volcano. Let's enjoy this being in the now. If we, say, get a five through seven seed and lose in the first round this year, Certainly a possible outcome. I think we'll feel good about, okay, step one. We're back to relevancy. Now where do we go? If AK and Eversley and their and their team identify weaknesses in the roster and areas where they can improve them, I think that's what they'll do. Because if you look at what they've done in under two years on the job, save for Zach and Kobe, they have flipped this entire roster, an entire roster, and all of their moves are logical, especially this offseason after they had a season to assess the situation, evaluate what they had, what their strengths and weaknesses were, because guess what? All the moves they made this offseason addressed significant weaknesses of last year's roster. It, you can see it. If you watch basketball, you can see the logic behind the signings and the moves that they made. And that's the encouraging thing. If this roster that they they constructed for this season isn't good enough to be championship contending, 
and they don't see it as, okay, another year of growth for Pat and another year of cohesion. We got to make some other move. They're going to make that move because I don't agree with that other national NBA talking heads theory that the Bulls like mortgaged their future for Vooch and DeMar. They didn't. They've already conveyed one of the picks to Orlando. And it's like, what would you rather have Vooch now in his prime or like the younger Wagner brother who the Orlando magic took? Give me Vooch. Like who would you rather have DeMar right now in his prime or whatever that pick ends up being for San Antonio. And guess what? They took Larry Markinen, the last domino of free yes. agency who no one wanted, and turned pick. him into Derek Jones Jr. and a first round draft pick. And that's the thing. I'm you not, got Vooch I'm not and... concerned about their flexibility. Oh, I am right. not. Oh, you got me so hyped with that. They got DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic for literally two first round picks because they brought one back with the Lowry trade. And no one wants to. Well, the NBA is going to steal one from us because, you know. Uh, yeah, that tampering investigation is yeah. still going on. It's, it's not good, okay? <laughs> but if they didn't do that, you know, if that does not happen, still, you gave up two picks, you end up with a guy like Lonzo Ball, you end up with a guy like Vooch, you end up with DeMar DeRozan. Anybody would be crazy not to do that. Period. And, you know, the, the national opinion about their, they mortgage their future, you, you have, I think, flippable assets. Salim, you brought up Patrick Williams, Kobe White. If they take that that step we were talking about earlier, potentially becomes flippable asset. You could get more first round equity out of those. If you you know look at the fact that Demar Derozan's here for three years, it's not like he's here for four or five years. You have three years, and I'll throw this one out. I throw this one out a lot. Nikola Vucevic. People forget it's a de-escalating contract for the next two years. It goes down. And if he's producing at the level we're seeing him produce at now, I mean, if, if that's an expiring deal and it's an affordable expiring deal for a guy that can give you almost 20 and 10 every night, I mean, there's ways to make it happen. And to everybody's point, we saw this front office do a lot of wheeling and dealing over the cap. So anything is, is possible to make that kind of move happen. Uh, gentlemen, I want to wrap up the panel with the obligatory predictions because we have to do that. So, at the end of the 2022 season, what will be the Bulls' record? And where will they finish in the Eastern Conference? We're going to start with you, Buzz. Go to Salim, then Matt. Um, it's tough, man. Uh, if I want to be, like, super serious about it, I do think that if this team stays healthy, they stay uh, out of the play-in. And I truly believe that in my heart. I think that they could be one through six. Obviously not one, but I, I definitely think like four through six if they stay completely healthy. Um, I'm going to say they're going to have 46 wins. I'm going to say there are 46 wins this year. Um, that's my prediction on them. And I think that they're going to uh, make a second, again, for a realistic um, expectation, I think they make a second round exit. I think they surprise some people. I think they get in the second round of the playoffs and I think they lose out there. Um now, for me, they win the championship, they go 82-0, and that's what I have to say about that. Um, but, but, but for the realistic expectation, what is what I just gave you at first is what I'm going to stick with right now. I think this team has some learning pains that they're going to go through together, but I also think that the Eastern Conference is a crapshoot, and uh, you're kind of watching it diminish before your eyes. Uh, with a, You know what really sucks? I'm sorry to get into this. I hate Milwaukee, and damn oh. it. They have to be the good one right now. 
they have to be the good one. And the reason I hate Milwaukee is because I hate the Packers, you know, because Wisconsin, same state, you know, right? But whatever. <laughs> Wisconsin um, is trash, Buzz. Wisconsin is trash. Thank you. See, when we get together, I, we just get each other. You know, we just get each other. But Milwaukee's <laughs> one of my favorite towns, surprisingly. It's beautiful. It's, don't tell anybody I said that. Great, it's great yeah. breweries, great, great distilleries around yeah, there. But crappy anyway. sports teams, though. Um, Oh, I'm a Sox fan, so the Brewers beat, you know, it's whatever. I don't really care about them. But uh, I, I do not like the Bucks because they're in the Bulls division. Obviously, Packers, Bears, whatever. But um, I think the Bucks are uh, huge. Obviously, they're the defending champs. But with what's going on in Brooklyn right now and what's, you know, what's going on in Philadelphia right now, if you're a Bulls fan, you should feel pretty good about yourself. And, uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of other good teams like Miami and Atlanta. But I, I again, I think forty six wins. I think that this team does something special. Yeah, I have them about forty five, forty seven wins. Um, and I, I agree with Buzz. I think they avoid the plan. Uh, they'll finish like five or six in the standings. It, it will be interesting to me, you know, related. You look at some of these teams like Atlanta, New York, Boston, Sixers, Heat, Bulls. One of these teams is going to be really disappointing. Like. It's going to happen. One of these teams mm-hmm. is probably going to come in this season. Like their fans are expecting, you know, the moon, and they're going to be not as nearly as good as you know the expectations are there. So it'll be interesting which one they are. I mean, hopefully it's not the Bulls. Fingers crossed. Obvious for obvious reasons, uh, and I don't expect it to be. But yeah, it's going to be interesting with those teams. And in general, you you figure. All those teams will be like a game or two apart in the standings. I, I think that's how it's going to play. It's going to be super tight. So let's say the Bulls finish, you know, I, I think they'll finish five or six, but if they finish seventh and they do get into the play-in, but they manage to win the play-in, I mean, I still wouldn't necessarily consider that a disappointment because let's say they only lose the uh, sixth seed by like, like a half a game or one game because that mm-hmm. is a serious possibility that, it's not because they were just were like bad. They won 45, 46 games, but they still ended up with the seventh seed because the East just got that much better. And all these teams are just going to be right there, you know, fighting for that top six uh, place in the standing. So we'll see. But I, I, like I said, I, I'm thinking five or six, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if you, if you end up seeing something crazy like that happen. And like I said, I think one of those, one of those teams I mentioned are going to have a disappointing season that it's going to be like, oh, wow, this team, we thought they are going to be this. They're just struggling for one reason or another. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think we're kind of all in that same boat of seeing the Bulls finish somewhere realistically five through seven, optimistically maybe sneaking in and getting the four seed and home court in the first round. Look, I think the only team in the East – that you know coming into this season is going to finish top three for certain is Milwaukee. Like you, you like people are saying, oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, like it's a de- default. People putting them ahead of Milwaukee. And yeah, Milwaukee didn't have a great offseason as far as what their roster was as champions coming into what their roster is now. You know, losing the vet PJ Tucker certainly hurts. But I mean, like, does does Kyrie miss half their games because he thinks the earth is flat and vaccines don't work? Like, is that a thing that the Brooklyn Nets have to deal with all season long? Does that become a problem for him and his teammates? Does Ben Simmons sit out all season until he gets the trade out of Philly that he wants 
And if so, how much of a distraction is that to the team? And how much do they miss his production on the court every night? Boston, the, the Kemba Walker experiment didn't work out. Are Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart enough with their complimentary pieces to lock in a top three seed? I'm not convinced of that. The Miami Heat, like, okay, yeah, Kyle Lowry, he's a vet with something left to give, but I am not slobbing their knob in the way that a lot of national NBA people are. I just, I'm sorry. Show it to me. Also, you gave Duncan Robbins a quadrillion billion dollars and like everybody's like, oh yeah, the heat, the heat, the heat. Really? The Atlanta Hawks? Show it to me more than once. Show it to me for more than half a season where you get lucky to make the Eastern Conference Finals because the Sixers imploded. Show me more than that. The Knicks, love my man Tibbs. Love him to death. Prove it to me again. Prove it to me again that you're a four seed. So, yeah, I'm I'm thinking the Bulls easily are a 500 team this year. And they could flirt with 45, 46, maybe even 47 wins. And depending on what happens in the chaos that is the East, that might mean a four seed and it might mean a seven seed. We'll see. So real quick, what was the, what is it? You said you're not what? You're not <laughs> slopping. Again? I, I believe I said slobbing their knob. <laughs> slobbing their knob. You, you know what's funny though? I want to mention Miami. discourse around on DeRozan's contract, but then the discourse around Lowry's contract is interesting because Lowry is older. Um, and recently has been more injury prone and he got a much bigger deal and everyone loves it. But right. Yeah. In three years, 85 million. How dare you? That guy, right. that guy worth negative $14 million. How dare you pay him that much money? Right. Maybe well, because maybe. as we learned, Salim, the only reason that Toronto finally won the chip is because they traded away to Marcus. He's not a winner. And that's a yeah. fact. It's not like they traded him for some bum, right? They traded him for Kawhi fucking Leonard. So, right, exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's the conversation around a lot of these teams is interesting. And like you said, um, I, I think I think Brooklyn will figure it out just because I don't think they need Kyrie to, to win games in the regular season. Now the playoffs could be different. Right. The playoffs yeah. could be different, but in the regular season, I don't really think they need him. And like you see a guy like Kevin Durant is just going to Kevin Durant and James Harden. I think right. James Harden is probably more of a keep for them this season because he's not going to be coming into camp fat and like going to the strip clubs and trying to get out of Brooklyn. <laughs> right. Like, that's what he was doing all right. last season. So that's why he was like barely playing all year. But yeah, I I, I think fair. I just kind of am rooting for Brooklyn to fail because Kyrie's oh, an sure. idiot and he pisses me off. But for sure, for sure. On, honestly, one of my favorite favorite offseason signings, the Brooklyn Nets stealing Patty Mills. Like, who needs Kyrie Irving if you have Patty Mills? That dude is just money. Every night on the floor, that no, dude exactly. is money. I wasn't aware of your Kyrie Irving disdain like I am right now. I had no idea. Oh, the man uh, is an I, idiot. Well, the man I, I, is I, an idiot. I agree with you, and I have been saying that for a long time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to send you some receipts of shit that I said in the past <laughs> where I've just gotten completely killed on, and we can have a good laugh about it. I'll make a group chat with us four. Um, but, yeah, no. I'm Looking forward I, to it. Yeah, I'm definitely not a Kyrie Irving guy. 
I'll say this. I've defended Kyrie on some stuff, but this recent thing is like, dude, you're, you lost me here. If I keep it basketball-related, prime Derrick Rose would have beat his ass with no questions asked. <laughs> I told you we were going to go full meathead on this podcast. And it's not meathead. Derrick Rose would have killed him. Uh, we have We have gone full meathead, but that's okay. I, Buzz, we're cool with it. We're fine with it. Kirk Heinrich, um, too. <laughs> all right so uh basically i think we're all on the same page like i i'm kind of in that same boat in terms of win total and where they're going to finish it's going to be really interesting because the eastern conference is a complete cluster like we've talked about it it's going to be i think really compelling this is going to be a fun season for bulls fans we've been subject to crappy ass basketball for the last four years and now we're finally going to get a chance to hopefully see them make some type of a postseason run. I think everybody in Bulls Nation deserves that. Um, real quick, thanks again to our panel, Matt Peck, Buzz, Salim Surtawala. Please give them a follow. Subscribe to their podcast if you want really in-depth coverage and analysis of the team because you're going to need it this season because it's going to be a good season. And please, subscribe to this podcast, the Rebuildable Podcast. God knows I need it. Um, I'll have plenty more of episodes like this to come throughout the entire season. So until next time, I'm Matt Gentile. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.